Big thanks to our sponsor, Microsoft Azure, for supporting the first season of Function. Startups, governments, and 90% of Fortune 500 companies are already running on Microsoft Cloud. Join them and find new ways to achieve more. Stay productive with familiar tools, develop and deploy where you want with a consistent hybrid environment, and build engaging apps with intelligent features. You can bring your bold ideas to life faster, push them further, and scale them worldwide. Start your free account at azure.com slash trial. That's A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. Hi, welcome to Function. I'm Anil Dash. This week on Function, it's a pretty special episode for me because we're going to dig into my very favorite image format in the whole world, which is GIFs. Now, I'm one of those folks that grew up online, but online back then was really before the web. There were these old dial-up services. That's how you would connect. They were called like CompuServe or America Online. Old-timers will remember them. And one of the wild things about CompuServe, if you were online back in the 80s, was you could see these new formats popping up. And one of them invented at CompuServe was called the Graphics Interchange Format, or GIF. And it was like your eyes had opened for the first time because there were tricks that these images could do that I'd never seen before. They had transparent parts, and then the wildest thing of all, they started to move. And we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have video online. There was not a lot of motion happening on the internet or the proto-internet at that point. And so to be able to see a moving image seemed shocking. I really never lost that excitement, that enthusiasm for gifts that I had as a teenager. All these years later, it's still just exciting to me. Every time I see somebody sharing a really great GIF, I think, man, this is what the internet was made for. And these days, GIFs aren't just for geeks online. They are accessible to everybody. They're super simple. They work on your phone. They tap into pop culture feelings. And there's even websites like Giphy that are almost like a database where you can look up any GIF you want by the feeling you're trying to express. You know, the funny thing is most GIFs come from TV shows or movies or music videos. And while YouTube has the copyright cops all over it, GIFs are still the Wild West. We don't even really know how we get away with using them. So later we're going to hear from T. Kyle McMahon. He's the lead digital and social producer for Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. T. Kyle is responsible for a lot of the memes you see and use on the internet every day, like the Nini Leaks I Am Rich GIF, one of the classics of the genre. But first we got to ask, how did GIFs become so embedded in internet culture? I talked to Kenyatta Cheese, who you might call an internet culture enthusiast. He's the CEO and co-founder of All at Once, which is an agency that specializes in audience development and social media strategy. But he's also the co-creator and founder of KnowYourMeme.com, which is a database of basically every meme the internet has ever seen. Kenyatta and I took a deep dive into the history and culture of GIFs and the copyright rules that basically let us get away with using them everywhere. Kenyatta Cheese, thank you for joining us on Function. There are so many questions I have for you, but we're going to start with the most important one, which is what is the first time you remember seeing a GIF in your life? (laughs) First time seeing a GIF. My gosh, it was probably... An under-construction looping GIF on a GeoCities or an AngelFire page, probably uh, 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 mid-late 90s. 
the first time, and that's probably the first time I saw the actual format. Mm-hmm. The first time where I saw it and understand, understood that there was a cultural relevance to it was probably Dancing Baby. Do you remember? Oh, right, yeah. The little animated baby from Allie McBeal. Somebody takes it, makes a GIF of it, and it starts spreading as one of the first sort of GIF virals, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we saw this thing that was, uh, that was sent to everybody via broadcast show up in this other medium, on this other screen, in a way that uh, we could control the, the, you know, the, the passing along of that thing. And that was kind of incredible. When you ask the question of first GIF, I mm-hmm. think there's probably a few different versions of that, right? Right. So there's the format, and then there's its use in culture. Right. So GIF is a format of an image. It's, it's a way to save an image file on your computer. Some history, it started on CompuServe, mm-hmm. early dial-up right. service that people used to access the, the sort of proto-internet in the, in the 80s and later. In 1987, the graphics interchange format, GIF 87, is yep. created. And that's sort of the first version. And then something interesting happens. They, they revise the format. They make an update to the format, GIF 89A. Talk about what that means, what happened there. <laughs> uh, one of the fascinating things about the evolution of GIF was we first saw that um, it started off with a very limited color palette. It was a uh, spec for doing very, very lightweight animations. With the switch to 89A, you could do a little more. Um, I believe the color palette increased to 256 colors, wow, I think it is. That's right? That's luxurious. A, it's amazing how that's many HD. colors you can fit in there. It's crazy. And at about the same time, we saw uh, the file format adopted on Netscape browsers. I think it was like probably Navigator 2.0 or something. Yeah, it's like right? 1992 or so, 93. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, people who were making these very static pages, right? You know, I, there's that time when some that some of us remember when the web was nothing but text, right? And and being able to add a GIF, being able to add one of these images, uh, didn't even have to be animated, right? The idea that I could actually add a, uh, a, a 256 uh, color limited version of some photo I took, right? Mm-hmm. Scan it in and upload it to my page felt incredible. So now we've had this evolution where there's this this format, this technical format for storing files is there. We're able to do animation. We're able to see this motion happen. And the web seems to be the thing for which it was born, even if it was created before the web. Right. And it, and, and it takes off. And then, as you said, it becomes shorthand for expressing these feelings, these emotions. But it can do lots of interesting things. One of the things we see, uh, and, and sort of you can talk about this with your work, is capturing parts of a movie, a show, a TV show, an episode of what's going on. And, and disseminating maybe at least one of the feelings or emotions from it. How does yeah. that happen? Yeah, um, that's the uh, that's probably you know I, th- I think the first uh, TV gifts I ever saw were for um, I think they were maybe for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I think it was people doing uh, essentially posting recaps of their favorite moments in news groups. And so news groups were, were, this, were this separate space, uh, separate from the web, where we'd all sort of meet and have, uh, you know, it's Reddit pre, pre-Reddit, right? Right, so, so early chat discussions online. Yeah. And one way that you would have a discussion is be able to talk about the TV show is maybe you talk about the episode. Uh, being able to post the, the sort of what you thought was the seminal moment from that, from that video um, in the form of a small looping gift that just sort of captured that, you know, the, the one reaction from, from Buffy or, uh, or a swing of an axe or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, 
gave people a point of reference. Because in this era, especially, this is before YouTube or anything like that, putting up video was really hard. Oh, it was so hard. In fact, what was, what, uh, you know, you have to remember there's a time where video wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't standardized. Um, and there were so many competing formats that were all very proprietary that it wasn't accessible to everybody. Whereas if you, if you had, if you knew HTML and you had a browser um, and you had a source of GIFs, you could insert one of these. You could insert one of these animations into your your web, your page, or however it is that you're you're trying to connect to an audience. And so it worked everywhere. And at the time, the standard for video was download Real Player or Windows Media Player, <laughs> QuickTime, yeah, and and wait 20 minutes while something downloads. Yeah. Meanwhile, the the GIF was just already there in your browser. Not only was it already there, it didn't require you to uh, have to learn. Uh, a uh, learn and license uh, pro proprietary format for being able to create animated uh, uh, animated work um, uh, and disseminate via, via the internet. It's one of the things that uh, I find fascinating about um, the what I see as a as a sort of battle. It wasn't a real one, but in my head, I see a battle between the evolution of GIF and the evolution of Flash. Right, where Flash has. Uh, the backing of Adobe, and uh, you have everybody who, who maybe once made CD-ROMs because you were a content you were a content producer, you were a digital content producer, and all of a sudden you're having to adjust to the internet, and so you have all this class of extremely talented, highly skilled people who uh, who are the, essentially the gatekeepers mm -hmm. to being able to put out work in this format. So context for people who don't know, in the in the 90s and early 2000s, Flash was a what they called a plugin. It was something that connected to your web browser and could show uh, initially just animations and illustrations, and later on it could do full video streaming. It was it probably helped enable YouTube to exist in the first place, and and did a lot of those things. It killed off the old formats of Real Player, Windows Media Player, uh, and at the time people thought this would be ascendant. This would be yeah. what wins everywhere. Yeah, and then the humble GIF comes along. And it comes along because uh, all of a sudden, these dark corners of the internet, forums and news groups and uh, GeoCities and, and, and Angel Fire pages of, of its time, mm -hmm. um, you know, these, these, were, these were the places where if you had a little bit of knowledge, where you were able to, you knew how to build a web page and um, you had space available to you, um, you were just going to scrap and, and find, scrap and scrape and find whatever you can. Uh, in order to make your your this page feel more alive, feel more like you. Right. And this format had a lot of interesting traits. It could also do transparency, so you can make like custom shapes. So so the early web and that the, you know the first web browsers came out like 1990 or so. Uh, you have the early versions that would lead to Netscape come out in 92, 93. Netscape comes out in 95. That that sort of couple of years, there's a huge number of advancements in how do you show these images? Can they be transparent? Can they start to animate? And it's almost taken for granted as a way of expressing yourself, right? You're going to yeah. put uh, – you talked about under construction being one of the first GIFs that you saw. Tell me about what an under construction GIF was on the early web. <laughs> I, I remember my first web page where I, I, I had uh, gone and, and done my first little searches on, on, on things like Gopher and other places to find all these, uh, these sort of interesting and, and for me rare texts, probably, you know bunch of stuff about activism and anime and other things I was interested in, in at the time and threw to get them together in, in a, on a page of links and I realized that well you know people are going to come to this page and, and, and they're going to click on these things but I'm always going to add stuff to it so I need to make sure that I can indicate to people that my page is going to be updated soon right and so under construction 
right, became a way to be able to say, hey, this is my way of saying we're going to update this regularly. So always come back. It's right? in progress. Yeah. And, and it looks like a little yellow road sign of the person digging, but it can move. Oh, see, that's good. I didn't have that one. Mine, I think, was the, the, the long bar with that red under construction with like oh, so like the siren lights on it that you see around a construction site oh i, I couldn't find a good siren light one so wow. I, I i did the just sort of the yellow and black um alternating yeah color blocks okay but enough to, to warn people <laughs> content <laughs> warn. is coming <laughs> you're right be careful right part of the reason that i ask you that and go a little bit into your background for folks that don't know what you're there one of the places i want to start with is know your meme yeah talk to me about know your meme and and your connection <laughs> to it so uh, a bunch of years back, uh, I was working at a, uh, a, a video call, blog called Rocket Boom, where we were just sort of documenting things that were happening in internet culture all the time, uh, which meant that we just basically lurked the internet. We just kind of just sort of watched what was happening and then kind of picked out moments that we thought were interesting. And one of the things that we saw that was really fascinating was that all of a sudden, uh, there was all this internet culture. Uh, memes in particular, image macros, uh, GIFs that were being passed around that um, were being taken and reformatted and then put onto things like Adult Swim, Mm. shown on television uh, without any attribution. So they're crossing over from like internet nerd culture into mainstream culture, but people didn't really know how or why. Uh, And people didn't know who had actually made it. These these communities that had built – um, this amazing culture, they, they were sort of off in the background while somebody else who figured out how to exploit it um, mm-hmm. had to kind of put it out there. And uh, so we decided that um, we would start a meme database. We <laughs> decided we, were, we would uh, start documenting the spread of memes in order to help tell their story. And that seems like something people could think of now, but when, at the point when you're doing this, taking memes seriously enough to be you know, academic about them and catalog them in a database had to seem absurd, radical? What? Oh, completely absurd, completely absurd. Uh, not a lot of people were taking it seriously, even though there were a bunch of serious businesses, right, uh-huh. being built around them. And so the for us, we realized, wow, no one's going to take this seriously unless we figure out a way to do that. And so we bought lab coats. right. And sure. we made videos where we just put the lab coat on, and that's and then we explain the you know the history of the meme by looking at well, are, is there social theory that kind of that kind of lends itself to this? This report, by all means, should have been forgettable if it weren't for one man, Bub Rub. Tell me about the whistles. The whistles go woo. The whistles, they go woo. To understand Bub Rub and his quick wit and affable personality. You have to understand the culture in which Bub Rub exists. You have to understand hyphy. Part of the subgenre of Bay Area hip hop. Back then, the APIs, the, the the programming interfaces that allowed us to actually pull data and actually uh, look at where something spread and how it spread. Mm-hmm. That stuff used to be free, right? right. You and could so just access it. you could just access it and be able to see. Oh, actually, it it uh, it, uh, it spread here first, and then it seems to have jumped over to this other site, and all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, this thing it maybe started off in a place like 4chan or Dig or whatever else shows up on on your parents' wall on Facebook, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so mapping that felt very important. I think now we see the ways that uh, 
all of a sudden everything that we everything that was being studied around funny cat pictures actually applies to things like you know civil society right global politics is yeah. shaped by memes now. yeah okay so you you have this early you know community and collaborators where you are starting to document culture and it's all kinds of memes and you had static images you had videos vi- the early viral clips pre youtube or you know when youtube started to take off but at the heart of this thing is gifs and talk to me about the role that, that GIFs have in sort of meme culture. There's this uh, halfway point between a full-blown video and uh, a still image macro. When the, if the image macro is the, this is a, a, a photo of a cat, this is a photo of a screenshot from a game, this is a thing that I recognize and I'm going to throw some text over it in order to try to convey meaning. Um, being able to do that in a GIF, in this one little loop, of a uh, of uh, a gesture that somebody's making, right? Or a um, or maybe it's a it's a it's a really cute animal. Um, those things are interesting uh, because they tend to spread spread across cultures faster, right? Mm. And, and not as textual, not as literal. Yeah, it's easier to recognize a, a a human emotion, right? You can recognize a facial expression much easier than you can maybe read text in another language that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so GIFs had this sort of lateral spread across continents and across cultures and across languages that uh, was harder for image macros to do, right? And that made GIFs really, really important to the spread of, uh, of common internet culture um, beyond sort of the, this sort of like Western context of all of us sort of, you know, spreading things that are interesting to us because it's a TV show we enjoy or right. a game we enjoy, that sort of thing. And even within different parts of, like even within the same country or within the same culture, you have your sort of different tribes, your different communities, and, and gifts can break out of them, right? Yeah, oh, completely. And uh, you can see uh, uh, people will ascribe uh, an emotional meaning, an emotional weight to a gift. When you share a gift with, your, with a friend in a messaging app, you're not trying to share a piece of content Right. right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a part of a conversation, right? right? It's a reaction. It's this thing that articulates uh, the, the, the feeling I have uh, without having to you know, write it out. So it can be subtracted from context a lot. I think of, um, you know, one of my favorite gifts is uh, Michael Jackson eating popcorn, sort of a classic reaction gift. Yeah. Can we get out of here? No, I'm enjoying this. Well, I can't watch. It expresses a lot of ideas, but I think one of them is the... Uh, let me just sit here and watch what's about to happen now, right? And it's from the beginning of the long version of Thriller, is the video. And I'm old enough to remember that, and I'm old enough to have had the VHS tape. And I realized the majority of people sharing that now, probably, one, may never have even seen that entire video. Two, weren't born when it came out. And three, it just represents a concept to them. Like, how common is that for a GIF in the world? Oh, it happens all the time. In the work I do now, which is based around fandoms, we see uh, the GIFs made from fan content, from episodes of TV shows, you know, that, that, that one reaction that a character makes that, that feels so relatable that somebody takes that, decides to download the video to their computer, make a GIF out of it, and re-upload it to Tumblr, to Reddit, to all these places. They're doing it because they recognize recognize an emotion and to recognize something that, that kind of relates to them. And then they want to share that out, right? And uh, when they share it out, it doesn't matter if the person on the other side is familiar with the context or not. They don't have to know the show. They just have to know that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a universality to that. That's, that's awesome, right? That is really powerful. Gifts, it seems, are very, very tied to fan culture. Yeah. And very tied to how people sort of express their affinity for a movie, a franchise, a brand, whatever it is. And... Um, 
And it's interesting because if you take whatever the popular fandom says, it's Harry Potter, each of the movies, if you probably wanted to find any given scene anywhere in these seven, eight movies, you can find a gif of it somewhere. You could oh, probably completely. reconstitute all 20 hours of films, <laughs> right? Just by just by stringing the gifs together. But if you put up the same things on YouTube, you'd get shut down immediately. Right. Why do you think the media companies or the the, the brand owners or the, the people who control this media, why do you think the media companies treat a GIF so differently than they treat a video on YouTube or somewhere else? I work with media companies now and I've found that they have a very different uh, sense of what this content means to what they think this content means to people, to consumers, um, than we all do as as sort of participants in culture. Um, for us, uh, what's important about a GIF is that uh, again, there's just that one scene, that one moment, that one emotion I'm trying to convey, and, and if I can use that to be able to throw that out there and find some resonance in my community, then that's awesome. But for uh, somebody who owns the IP, maybe that feels like uh, copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, you're going to take something off of YouTube because you're going to look at you're going to look at a full episode being posted on YouTube and say, "Hey, if they're not watching on my service, then that uh, because they're watching over here on YouTube, that means that's monetization that I can't capture, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to I'm going to uh, shut that down." Um, Gifts uh, they've learned to see as a derivative work, um, which is good, and I actually I actually credit Giphy. With uh, with uh, with the, uh, that sort of greater understanding of culture, and Giphy is a company that has sprung up around the ability to sort of easily discover and share gifts. Right, and they had a lot of uh, early conversations with uh, with the folks who own the own the TV shows and the movies and and all the things that we kind of pull from uh, media in order to help fuel our culture and in, in, in sort of fandoms, and and that's that's great and that's interesting. One of the contradictions that I've always struggled with is looking at. Uh, 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 sites like uh, Giphy or Giphy Cat that will enter into an agreement to be able to say, "Hey, um, you want you you as a media producer want to understand how this stuff is spreading. You want to understand where why people are using it or where people are using it. They're actually less interested in why. Mm-hmm. So we can be the official home for your gifts." So, so make a bunch of gifts, upload it to, to Giphy, and, and, and we can give you a bunch of stats and everything so else. So this sort of centralizing gift culture. And that's weird, Anil. That's really, <laughs> really weird. Why is that different than YouTube centralizing video streaming or, or you know, on-demand videos on the internet? Yeah, um, because uh, I, can still, I can still take a GIF and send it between, you know, from my phone to yours without having an intermediary. Mm. YouTube becomes an intermediary. Giphy becomes an intermediary. And so they're curating culture, they're shaping it. Uh, yeah, they, they start to route culture through them in ways that maybe before, you know, before there was a Giphy, before there was a YouTube, um, we, were, we were trying to do that in a more decentralized manner. Right. And in YouTube, you're generally looking for, you know, I want to find a video of how to fix my sink and that's sort of there. But Giphy, you might search for happy or surprised, right? And they're probably going to give everybody the same set of res- results for happy, right? Right. And so all of a sudden, you see the same you see the same gift being spread quite a bit, right? You start seeing the the range of expression that uh, that once uh, that maybe during a more decentralized um, uh, sort of uh, conversation around gifts, uh, be it on a place in a place like Tumblr, LiveJournal, or have you, um, now. Uh, instead of having the culture, uh, having the the community shape, uh, what's the most popular use of the of, of the word excited? 
yeah. or get excited GIF. Uh, now you see Giphy determining that. So to a media company, it sounds like a GIF of a clip from their movie, from their TV show, is almost like a commercial or an ad for the content. Yeah, it's often the hope, right, is that you're putting something out there that somebody sees. And when I decide to share out a GIF of, uh, of uh, my favorite TV show, from my favorite TV show, um, my friends see it. And if they know it, then now we have a common point of culture in between. But if they don't know it, they, maybe they say, oh, what is this? I'm going to, I want to understand why this is important to my friends. So I'm going to now click through to the Giphy, Giphy link or I'm going to uh, find another way to find, figure out where the source is. And that idea of like the GIF makes you, you know, click or the GIF makes you watch something. It feels a little bit like the early days of MTV where there's all these great music videos popping up and the record labels are like, oh, these are commercials for the record. Right. And it's only a couple years in where they was, oh, this is an art form on its own. And, yeah. and it's almost, you know, within a decade, they start selling the collections of the music videos as the product. Right. Right. So the commercial right. becomes the thing that is actually the culture. So I think the connection for the folks who sit in marketing departments who look at gifts, gifts, gift spreading and saying, oh, that actually helps build awareness for my brand, um, that's good as long as, because if it enables new forms of culture, it enables uh, um, new derivative works, that's great. Right. It's only when uh, they then decide to go and try to clamp down. We only go when people try to go and try to try to recentralize uh, a thing that, that looks like culture that uh, we tend to get in trouble. There's a point early in its life where GIFs are taking off on the web and they have a sort of near-death experience because the web is supposed to be open and free and open source and everybody can build their own web browser or whatever, make their own web page. And then we find out that a company called Unisys has a patent on the compression format used in GIFs. Yeah. Talk about what that moment was, what happened when that was discovered. I was somebody who, who I think back then, one of my... One of the things I did for a living was was I built web pages, and I would um, uh, I wouldn't say full on websites, but build web pages and and uh, use gifts quite a bit. And I remember seeing the the, the report um, probably on Slashdot somewhere saying that um, uh, that all of a sudden uh, this company was going to start enforcing its patent around gifts. And all of a sudden, this format, this this file that seemed really important, not just to culture, but to the livelihoods of a lot of people who are trying to figure out ways to get, help people express themselves on the internet, um, all of a sudden, we realized, oh, this might not be available to us. Hmm. And it was this really fascinating moment of, of people, some people going and saying, okay, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to go learn Flash. And other people who said, no, wait a minute, this is culture. Why, why do we have to put this back in the bottle now? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for, for me, coming from uh, a, like a long lineage of that uh, feels like hip-hop, um, all of a sudden it felt like we were having this sampling conversation all over again, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, uh, once we figured out, once the, the community had figured out a way to make a, a format useful, to uh, find value in it. You had uh, folks coming back in and trying to say, okay, now that you figured out that there's something here, I'm going to shut you down. And and GIF sort of skates by in this gray zone for, well, 17 years, which is the, the term <laughs> of patent, right? Yeah, yeah. I believe there was a, you know, there's a backing down of the lawsuit. and They uh, didn't want the entire internet to get mad at them? Yeah, yeah. I heard that's a bad thing. But then you also had this, this, large, um, this large generation of internet users who were very young, who were uh, making MySpace pages for the first time, right? 
they were uh, they were they were maybe making GeoCities pages, and the copyright stuff didn't matter to them, right? Or they didn't have a good understanding of it, mm-hmm. and so maybe they thought, well, I'm just going to use it anyway because no one's going to sue me because I'm a I'm an eight year old kid. Right. Or uh, I'm going to use it and then I'm going to say um, uh, no copyright intended. Right. Or right. Because I because I've heard of something called fair use, but I don't <laughs> fully understand what that means. So I'm just going to say that, yeah, my thing is fair use. So it's the beginning of that great divergence between intellectual property law and common practice yeah. getting further and further apart and the unenforceability of the Internet making it even sort of irrelevant what the law or the patent says. And at a scale that we hadn't seen before, because, uh, you know, with sampling, that's the, the people who are sampling, the, the number of artists who are actually sampling is fairly small compared to Carl Schulter at large. Uh, maybe with the uh, trading of VHS tapes, right? Mm-hmm. You had something that was so, sort of similar, but, but still that um, relied on, sne- on sort of that sneaker net right. of me actually actually recording something. And it's a physically hand it, a tape to someone. Handing it to you, And right? they put a tax on uh, video cassettes yeah. and on audio cassettes because they were like, these are used for copying our music, so we should get a cut of every blank tape that's sold. <laughs> right, right. right? <laughs> and, and so it could have been every web browser has to pay this royalty in case a, a GIF is used to infringe on my intellectual property. Right. Uh, those f- things feel similar. Uh, you know what else does, though, is the, um, uh, the sort of photocopy lore, right? The, the age of the pre-internet meme, right? The jokes that were shared uh, in an like office. Like somebody's photocopied zine or an office thing, that the joke, the prank that people were sharing yeah. on, on the or copyright. I'm going to take, take a Farsight cartoon and I'm going to enlarge it on the copyright. I'm going to run off 100 copies and I'm going to leave it in, all my, in the cubicles of all, all of my coworkers, right? And then somebody else is going to take them and do the same thing. Um, again, people taking, looking at culture, deciding that this is, this, is, this, is, this is something I identify with. This is something that has meaning to me. This is something that represents uh, and articulates something I couldn't say on my own. And I'm going to use that mm-hmm. in a way where I'm going to, I'm going to push it out there because I'm, I'm using it to try to make connection. You know, I, as, as a, I'm not using it because I'm trying to skirt copyright and I'm trying to make a buck. The, that use is, is fairly small. Uh, in terms of uh, numbers, compared to the people who are just want to be able to, to make a connection with somebody else. So they're just trying to express themselves. So, so the way that a GIF technically violates, you know, somebody's intellectual property rights is more akin to if somebody puts a, a you know, illustration of Calvin peeing on their back of their truck. Right. Their goal is not to cheat Bill Watterson out of royalties on Calvin and Hobbes to say, well, Ford sucks, and so I have to have Calvin peeing on the Ford logo on my truck. Or if somebody records a video of their kid and uh, a print song is in the background, <laughs> right? And you Why you got to make out? it personal? <laughs> um, we'll go there for a minute. I'm, I'm a huge Prince fan. Kenyatta is alluding to... Uh, a somewhat notorious lawsuit that Universal uh, Records filed on behalf of uh, uh, the late great Prince. Uh, he had been very, very adamant about enforcing his intellectual property rights. And so this YouTube clip, somebody's kids dancing in the kitchen. It's got a little bit, bit of uh, Prince's Let's Go Crazy in the background. And this goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is probably the most uh, extreme example of uh, the divergence <laughs> between intent and culture. And, and what intellectual property law would allow. But, of course, this is the same guy who put a meme on the cover of one of his own – two of his own singles. One time he had a song called This Could Be Us, But You Keep Playing. Mm-hmm. And it was a meme of himself that he had seen, and then he made a song about the meme. Yeah. So the, the idea that these 
creations that are gifts that are memes can come full circle back to creators and inspiring them to create that does match what we see in other patterns and other yeah. media, right? I think the moments where we can see that there's a, that we can find reciprocity, where we can find that the things we make as creators have a, a value that might actually be bigger or different than what we originally intended, and that when people take that idea, like a meme, um, and shape it because it because it helps them in their conversation outward on the network that's a that's actually a really beautiful thing if you can figure out ways to then look at that energy and, and figure out how to redirect it back so that so that a meme becomes the cover of our next album or uh, uh, we find other ways to make sure that the benefit goes flows both ways and that's good are there things we could only express through a gif mm. I know I feel like there are things I can only express through a gif my God, um, I, uh, uh, you and I are talking right now and having a conversation. Um, if I sit down to try to try to write out a bunch of these ideas into a medium post, it's not going to work. Um, if I try to turn it into a book, that's going to be really hard. But I think if I actually wanted to sum up the how I'm feeling about this interview in in, in a bunch of gifts, I can do that in a moment. That's easy. That's great. Uh, I think there's a there's a misconception. That people who are who go and use gifts in order to uh, express themselves or communicate in, in a you know in a reply in a forum post in a in a message et cetera et cetera that they're somehow cheating or or they're not being articulate and I think it's the exact opposite. Uh, in the same way that um, you know when we think about the early days of the internet, um, a lot of us had to, we had to if we were building things like sites we had to build everything from scratch we'd build everything from the ground up, and then people realized that oh they're actually shorthand right There's, we can start to build building blocks for that and uh, all of a sudden you saw things like APIs exist you saw something things like libraries exist which are you know uh, bundles of code that help you build something bigger than if you had to craft every single brick on your own. Gifts are the same thing for culture and conversation. It's a building block that lets you express things by building on top of what somebody else has expressed before. I think for that reason, what's going to be fascinating is to see how people continue to use gifts now, but what they become the building blocks for uh, over time. Uh, how are gifts going to be used five, ten years from now? Are they going to be used five, ten, ten years from now? Is there are there things that are going to happen at the platform level where or browser is going to change in a way where we're we're in an even more sort of app you know, uh, apt, appetized that sounds weird um, app centric app centric world uh, where all of a sudden we don't have access to formats that are open. What happens if we um, don't have access to things that actually make it easier for us to have conversation with one another without having to go through a central authority? I think for those reasons, formats like GIF are, GIF are super important. Kenyatta Cheese, thank you for joining us on Function. Until thank you. This was fun. Yeah, I think we have really com comprehensively covered why GIFs matter so much in culture. After the break, we'll hear from T. Kyle McMahon. He's a social producer for the show Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. On Function, we explore the stories behind the world's most impactful technology. Coming up next, we'll hear an advertiser segment from Microsoft Azure about the tech behind how one NBA team grew its fan base. The Portland Trailblazers have a loyal following. 
We have a building with 20,000 seats in it roughly. A little over half of them are season ticket holders and those are filled every night. But the challenge is filling the other 10,000 seats. And the person who is up to the challenge is Mike Schumacher. He's the director of analytics for the Trailblazers. We have all these leads and a lot of people that we could contact via email or like social media, but we also have a sales staff that can reach out on the phone. In sales, a call can make a world of difference, but calling some 200,000 people who went to see the Trailblazers last year is unrealistic. That's where machine learning comes in. Rohan Kumar is the corporate vice president of the Azure data team at Microsoft. Predictive analytics can be used to drive a much deeper customer engagement. You could essentially think about predicting customer behavior. You know, data tells you things which your intuition doesn't. For the Portland Trailblazers, it meant using the machine learning capabilities in Microsoft Azure to find that hidden fan. Things like watching specific sports channels. If you are a heavy LinkedIn user, or if you're a cord cutter and you have, say, a streaming device, um, those are also data points that were more predictive in identifying someone that was interested in purchasing tickets. Mike and his team were able to get more Trailblazer fans to games using Azure's Workbench. The result? In the 2016-2017 season, the sales campaign got one out of four people to buy tickets instead of one out of 20. Curious about how AI and machine learning can transform the way to do business? Sign up for a free Azure account today and play around. Get started at azure.com slash trial. A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. Thanks, Microsoft Azure, for sponsoring Function. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Function. I'm Anil Dash. Now that we understand where GIFs came from and how they became a staple of internet culture, let's talk about the ways we use GIFs today. T. Kyle McMahon is the lead digital and social producer for Watch What Happens Live. That's Andy Cohen's late night show on Bravo. Even before he came to Watch What Happens Live, T. Kyle had a really popular blog on Tumblr where he posted nothing but reality TV GIFs. Honestly, T. Kyle should be in the GIF Hall of Fame because if you've ever used a GIF from any of the Real Housewives shows, he probably created it. T. Kyle and I talked about GIF culture, his approach to GIFs for Watch What Happens Live, and also his role in making GIF history. T., thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So before we get into everything else, I just want to talk about, I feel like GIFs speak to our hearts and souls in a way that they few do. other media do. What, what was a GIF that, like, that either like, speaks for you now and that's your signature one or it was the first one that jumped out at you as like, this says how I feel? I remember the first one I ever made very vividly. Uh, I was in college and I was a graphic design major, so I was using Photoshop and taught myself how to make it. And it was of Teresa Judice flipping the table in that one episode of Real Housewives. <laughs> Prostitution whore, you are f***ing days 19 times, you stupid bitch. And it was this really low quality, the file size was way too high. <laughs> and it was the first gift I ever made. And then that was really, you know, 
where it took off. Have you seen that reproduced all over the internet in years since? Like, is that? Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's a reactionary gif that gets used mm-hmm. all the time. It's like a staple. So you've given voice to others through your judicious editing of this gif. Yes. Yeah. The other thing I like there is you also talk about the technical constraints. You're like, well, I don't like my use of color here, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the framing. I, I think that's such an interesting thing because there are a lot of really hard technical constraints on this format, even though we see it all over the internet. Talk a little bit about that. When I first started making GIFs, I remember it was for the purpose of using them in iChat mm. and messaging back and forth with people in the dorms. And then it moved to, you know, when I got a professional job, messaging back and forth on iChat with coworkers. So there really was no file size limit or color limit there because you could just send whatever. Mm-hmm. And we all had this like running folder. Because you had a high speed connection to each other. So it doesn't matter how big it was. Right. So mm-hmm. it would just kind of, we all would send the same ones back and forth. And then when I started my actual blog on Tumblr, that's when it really got tight mm-hmm. because it was a 500 kilobyte. Which is small. It was for, so for, small. Right. And so I had to really figure out, okay, how many frames, what's the maximum amount? It wouldn't allow... Anything with hot pink for some reason. There was this, <laughs> anyone like, a, like an old school Tumblr user will know if you posted something with hot pink, it just would error out. It was this weird glitch. Wow. And so, it, and then, you know, it got moved up to a megabyte and it was like, you know, life changing. That's like when Twitter went from 140 to 280. You're just upgraded. Yeah. And then they even put their gifts at what's like 15 megabytes now, yeah. which was just yeah, like. You could okay. put a feature film in there. Now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, you had captured something from a TV show. Now, and I assume you weren't holding your like, you know, back then flip phones or whatever, or your like iPhone 1 up to the screen to capture this thing. What's, what, how do you create this? How do you take something you see on a show, on a film, on whatever's out there on the internet and turn it into a GIF that others can, you know, use as a reaction? Back then, I feel I feel like I used some janky video recorder from <laughs> Mac, mm-hmm. and I I honestly don't even remember what it was. But it's some then. app you had some app that did this. Yeah, it was like this. You know, you can use this to record your screen, and so I would just record what the clips I was watching on .dot com or whatever it was, and then save it mm-hmm. and try and figure out how to crop it and work frame by frame. Right. But if you fast forward now to where you're an experienced professional in the fast paced TV industry, and you want to have high quality gifts that look as good as the show does, what does your workflow look like? What do you do? Well, for now, the, the show with Watch What Happens, you know, I actually work with the the raw file from, you know, the direct MOV. So it's mm-hmm. much easier to pull into Premiere and, <laughs> you know, crop it and clip it. And, uh, you know, on some freelance projects, I've been given the actual MP4, which you can just drop mm-hmm. right into Photoshop. So these are the actual production files that the same team that, that shoots the show uses. Yep. And, and you've got them as raw materials for your, your GIF creation. Yeah. So I've done a mix of, of both ends of it. How do you feel that's sort of been mirrored if you, if you think about how an audience or people out on the web are reacting to what they see as GIFs? Like, say, on Tumblr, where they see you know, a couple shots from their favorite show or the person who's their favorite character on that show. Um, you know, what does that mean to them now? What, how, does, how does an audience respect, respond to that? Well, I think now it's so much more mainstream and you actually see people because I, I, well, my journey it started on Tumblr and I was kind of one of very few people that was doing this sort of you know, lowbrow reality TV mm-hmm. kind of crazy reaction. Taking it seriously. Yeah, and it was a much smaller audience. And then when Tumblr blew up, you know, you had all the brands jump in and then really take notice of the creators. Then you start to see live award shows, talent being like, oh, make this a GIF and actually saying it on TV 
or doing things mm-hmm. in the broadcast knowing that someone at home is going to clip that and post it on Twitter or you have celebrities that say, can someone please make me a gif of this <laughs> from this show or right. my reaction or whatever. And even just the way they film shows now, which is debatable if it makes it better or not. But you see all these reactions from people in the audience and, you know, they try and slap, you know, titles on the reaction, even though the people are just sitting there trying to watch the show and right. they're not trying to look shady or rude or mean. They're just watching the show. And that all now gets transformed into GIF content mm-hmm. in real time on social media. It's really transformed the way the actual shows happen. So so it's almost affected the production. It's come 360 oh, yeah. to where the awareness that it's going to get captured and shared even is affecting like the frame you see on the screen. Right. And some would say that, that actually ruins the, the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know a, a lot of fans, especially of music and of performance art, get mad when the cameras cut away from their favorite artist or it's a live concert experience and it just flashes to random celebrities that look dead in the face. And they're like, no, they're just watching it like me. You know, they're right. not trying to be funny. Right. Just show the performer. So it's it goes both ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be really entertaining, but it also can, in a way, hurt the the production. Right. It all o- overemphasizes the, uh, the fact that it's a reaction. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Um, but what I hear, there's very strong evidence of this thing has shaped culture, sh- certainly has made people who make TV and you know, award shows and those things very aware that this is where their content's going to end up. Mm-hmm. Do you think – you go back to those early days, whether it's Tumblr and then later other networks. Do you think that having a gif of a certain show has made a show take off, has made it become popular, has made somebody say, let me check out that reality show even if I thought it was lowbrow because, wow, if they're having reactions like this, as I see in this gif, there must be something dramatic happening? A hundred percent. And I know there's two examples that I have where – one of them, I, and I feel weird saying this because I, I very rarely like to toot my own horn. <laughs> but there You're is, allowed to here. This is a safe space. Yeah, so Big Ange, an amazing reality TV character, rest in peace. Well, what do you think about me having the Botox bash? Like the lift. Boop, 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 boop. Get a little Botox. <laughs> Gotta get my boop, 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 boop done. Shot, 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 shot. She a got a spinoff. And I was making gifts of her from this show that she was on, and she became this this beloved internet character. And the audience on social media really took to her because she was so funny and she was so out there and she was so wild, which made for the perfect internet personality. Got a spinoff, and it really just took off. And she became such a beloved meme in a way and person. Mm-hmm. And there was like, there's no one out there who can say anything bad about Begange and. It was really because of social media and the GIFs and the memes and the screenshots and everything. Right. Well, it wasn't going to be text, right? You weren't going to write a tweet and that was going to make her brand or her name the thing that people understood in the world. It was going to be a, a GIF. It was going to be an image. Right. And for the longest time, my blog was, I would say, 75% dedicated to that spinoff and, <laughs> and Mob Wives and VH1. And mm-hmm. it really did make people watch mm-hmm. and and pay attention and tune in. So that was one example. You said there's a second example you can think of. Yes. So Tiffany Pollard from VH1's Flavor of Love. Legendary. You know what? I might be a fucking bitch to the heart, but at least I don't smile in all these girls' faces because you fucking, 
are a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm not. I'm you a know, fucking wolf. You see me coming. You guys are just jealous because all of my friends that know me tell me that I remind them of Beyonce. So you can. <laughs> That's a perfect example of someone who hasn't been on television really in years, but right. you think about her as being the ultimate queen of reality television and also internet gifts. But so, um, so the people producing the shows, the people, the networks, they knew if this gif is made, this is going to help this show take off. Yeah. I actually started the blog anonymously mm-hmm. before I even made myself known. But that was Tumblr. That was the, yeah. n- the done thing. Yeah. And um, then after about two, three years, I started to get noticed by you know people on Twitter. And you couldn't really share gifts at the time back then, but they would you know, write about the Tumblr. You know, I was working at MTV at the time, and so my coworkers pulled me in, and they were like, hey, listen, we see your Tumblr. We know you've got this Tumblr. And at first, I was horrified. because I was <laughs> like, oh, God, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> you know, I'm doing all this stuff in my spare time at home, and they're going to think it's a problem. But it actually was the opposite. They were over the moon, and I actually wound up getting a new job because of it, and they were thrilled. And I freelanced for a couple places, so... I've had nothing but positive experiences with it because they see it as promotion. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thing because if you took video clips with Mm -hmm. the audio and it was in, you know, a a format we recognize as video, like what we see on on YouTube or something, it might have been a different reaction. Yeah. What what do you think would happen? Like, how do you think that would play out? Or what happens today if somebody takes a video clip with, with, you know, the audio and all that stuff and puts it up on another site? Well, I think it's always been about I would say the intention I would say even small short almost at the length of what Vine used to be mm-hmm. was acceptable in a way because it was a reaction it was mm-hmm. serving as additive it wasn't trying to steal views or take away anything from the show it didn't usurp the audience no do you think Vine's existence and the way people created and shared their would have happened without gifts. like was it video first or was it you know, it just happened to be that format. Yeah, I think actually, now that you say that, I think GIFs probably did lend a hand into this sort of reactionary video element that was also super shareable across all platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sense that there's sort of a, you know, a semiotics or a meaning to the format, like you put it in this one format and it means something, you put this other format, it means something else. People don't think about that a lot for video. You now... You work on a popular TV show, and they've got you know the production budget and the cameras and the and the and the celebrities and all this kind of stuff. How familiar do you think the the regular TV world is with all these aspects of of online video culture, gift culture that we're talking about? Like, are they fluent and loyal? It means this if you do this. You know, if you back in the day you did this on Vine, or it means that if you did this with a a GIF at this time. Do you think people know that visual language? I think so, and I think. Because sites like Facebook and Instagram, which are much more, you know, I would say... Mainstream, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. mainstream. And you can now add GIFs on Facebook and Mm. Instagram meme accounts have really become super popular. And that's really consumable for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. So memes are for moms now. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's <laughs> it it really is. And and do you notice like are the the memes that you you know if you go totally, you know, the most mainstream momcore, you know, Facebook page, Facebook group, are they still sharing, you know, reality TV gifts that you made years ago or is there some other idiom that they use? Is it new stuff or is it like the old classic gifts or their whole repertoire? 
there's a lot of new stuff. You know, there's, I always joke that there's very easy jokes that kind of you can make. It's, you know, about dieting and not wanting to go to the gym and sort of these very baseline, very mm-hmm. easy jokes to make slapped with a funny reaction is always gold and always kind of works for <laughs> whatever. And so that can always change. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think there's a good mix of old and new. Are there any uh, celebrities or pop culture f- figures that you think are really good at using gifts and reactions? One of my favorite is Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. I feel like she just gets it. Yeah, she's like a natural for online. Yeah. And it's almost, I think a lot of times she probably holds back because she could really be, like sometimes when she tweets about you know, Animal Crossing and mm-hmm. these things. I'm like, she would be so good on Tumblr. And she probably has a Tumblr or oh, something. Oh, yeah. It's it's very... She said she had a Neopets page back in the day. Oh, yeah. I, was like, I mean, That's real. Oh, yeah. That's not... You're not halfway. Yeah. And uh, I feel like she gets the language mm-hmm. more than anyone else. Yeah. She's native to the vernacular and people can tell. Yep. Are we going to have a next wave of stars, celebrities, whatever, people that grew up? in meme culture, people that were like, you know, I mean, granted you were in, in college, we think about somebody who was in grade school and Tumblr, you know, and this sort of beginning a Tumblr culture that's going to break out and sort of that's going to be their native language. I don't know. One of the things that I think made Tumblr so great was that it was underground. Mm-hmm. And especially with Vine 2, it gave a platform to people who weren't necessarily mm-hmm. famous but were really funny and could connect and just make jokes and create weird stuff. And, and there was no other place for that. No, and it, it wasn't like they were trying to do it to be famous. It was just, it was a community mm-hmm. and it created this world where people weren't trying to, you know, become a celebrity by making Tumblr posts and making vines. They were just trying to be funny and connect mm-hmm. with other people and so be it was weird. Honest. Yeah, it was very honest and is very genuine. And so... I don't know. If you piece together all the gifts that are out there on the internet, you could probably, you know, rebuild an entire, I don't know, like an Avengers movie, mm-hmm. one gif at a time, yeah. right? Right from the beginning to the end of like, here's all my reactions from, from that stuff or, 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 you know, whatever else is out there. Um, or uh, uh, certainly A Star is Born, I think frame by frame will be gift. Yeah, you know, I've seen a lot already. Yeah, like beginning to end. Yet, if you put out, obviously, that whole video on YouTube, they would shut you down. As a, as a creator, as somebody who's created these things, how do you feel about like what the social permission is in terms of how much material you can use and what you can turn into a GIF without it being too much or, or, or you know, maybe getting in trouble? When you said that every, you could piece every frame together and make the whole movie, for me, when I create stuff, I actually think a lot of times not everything needs to be a GIF. Mm-hmm. And so I'll watch things and I'm like, that 45-minute episode, I don't see anything necessarily but there's other cases where there's really good reactions of stuff. So every GIF is its own piece that can live in its own context, separate from whatever it's attached to. So it's additive to the show. Mm-hmm. It's not. I never try and, and clip something to take away from a clip that's a video or right. a full episode. It. I always think this GIF can live on its own, in its own context, be used evergreen. That's mm-hmm. sort of my goal whenever mm-hmm. I make a GIF. And why, why I've kind of slowed down with my Tumblr is because I have such a – my collection, right? I love <laughs> my collection so much. You can express all your feelings already with it. Really? The, I mean, there's like a core group of GIFs that I have that I just love so much. Mm-hmm. And there's really nothing else I need 
to create. And if I see something, I'm like, oh, this is something new. I'll throw it in the mix. Mm-hmm. But to me, GIFs are additive. They help a character. They help an actor, a reality star, whatever it is that you are. Mm-hmm. A music video, I think, also you know, is also super helpful for artists to be able to share these beautiful frames or moments that they have or mm-hmm. funny moments, comedic moments. I always see it as additive and never taking away right. in full from whatever the product is. So your experience is that it's additive, but there are definitely times when um, the, the artists who've made these works or, the, or you know, whatever the, the – whether it's a film, a TV show, whatever it is, a music video, that they're going to see – if it's not you, maybe somebody else is not additive. They're like, they, they ripped my stuff and, you know, now people don't have to watch my film because they got the, the one funny beat, the one funny joke – or they revealed the punchline or they spoiled the gag, whatever it is, and it's out there. Do you think that there's going to be you know, pushback or, there, or have you ever heard of or encountered people pushing back on like you took this and you put it into this format and you, know, you can't make a GIF out of this? I personally have never had an experience with GIFs. Mm-hmm. I have had experiences with video edits, like remix edits, where I've mm-hmm. had copyright taken down. But... I, I've had a lot of people ask the question, like, mm-hmm. do you are you ever worried that your Tumblr will get some massive lawsuit against it? <laughs> and my whole thing has always been, if it got to that point, you know, I would have a ton of backup where I can say, like, you know, this network reached out. They love it. Mm-hmm. Or this story producer for this reality show reached out to me and said, we edit our show with confessionals that we think are funny. So people like you will make gifts of it. Right. So I have n- not that I don't know if that's any like legal backing. Right. <laughs> Technically. But there's at least a, there's a there's an ethics to it. Yeah, I think it's such a gray area now that hasn't really been explored and there's mm-hmm. obviously the only case I see is with the Olympics where someone has mm-hmm. actually laid down, you know, a rule and a law to be like you cannot do do this. But I do think it is a gray area and I do think every case sort of needs to be looked at because for me, I think as a creator, it can really help your movie or your music video. You know, I'm not a big movie person, mm-hmm. ironically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lowbrow in my content viewing. I respect it. <laughs> yeah. But I think the the new movie Venom that's out right now, which is massive. Mm-hmm. I saw a gif on Tumblr that was super HD of the where his head transforms into that Venom mask. Mm-hmm. And I remember I sat there and I just stared at it. Just looking it's at like every mesmerizing. yeah, it was so mesmerizing. Every intricate detail, and weeks later, I still remember that. Mm-hmm. And I now think of that movie as being so awesome. And also, I remember with Black Panther, there was a lot of gifts, mm-hmm. really capturing that brilliant CGI and just the mm-hmm. the beauty of and it, the costume design, and all that. And so yeah, you, you feel like you got a a feel for the creation mm-hmm. because there was a really good re- gift representation. So that actually gets into one last interesting idea, I think, which is, you know, when we talked about, okay, you, you take a few shots from a music video, you put it on your on your Tumblr because you've captured it as a GIF, and then BuzzFeed or anybody else back in the day, or today, every site, would do a roundup yep. and pull all that stuff in and maybe take a GIF that you or somebody else had created. And their argument probably would be, well, it's fair use because you didn't make the video. You're just excerpting it, yep. right? Did that ever happen to you? How did you feel about that? Yes. I was very defensive of my site 
for a while because, it, it, like you said, it would just be, you know, a simple right-click, copy-paste. <laughs> you know, we're going to aggregate all of your Tumblr into our GIF database. So I had my entire site lifted by numerous mm. GIF, you know, GIF apps or GIF websites. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was fuming. But then I also had to realize, well, I don't really technically own all this. Right, right, right. You had, you had edited or curated, but right. you didn't create it. Right, and my argument was sort of, then I realized, you know, my argument can't be that. It has to be, you know, you're, you're steamrolling over the creator who spent time. I knew I had no legal standing, but it was more of a, you open Photoshop, you take the clip, you save it, you export it, and spend the hour watching mm-hmm. the episode and... And you know, I had this and... book of, you know, timestamps where I would, you know, I would sit for hours and kind of timestamp my stuff out. Wow. So I was like, you know, you can do that. You don't have to copy it from me. But maybe they couldn't. Th- that's such an interesting shift because it, it, it points out that that curation and that eye and that care to, as you said, frame by frame going through, is that in its own way, its own act of creation? In a way, I think so. You know, there's a lot of people on Tumblr who who do similar stuff that I do, and I know they spend hours and mm-hmm. you know designing their layout or making a system of tagging so that you could find content, and they pay for Photoshop, and you know mm-hmm. you have to pay for that stuff now, and you, they buy the episodes, and then they, you know, there is a little bit of time and and eye that goes into it. So I think I was always coming out in defensive. Tumblr creators and sort of these people that I felt got steamrolled over by bigger powers. I think that's a wonderful place to sort of bookend this, which is that you go from being part of a small community and having an eye for this is some way to express ourselves in a new way. And then in just a few short years, uh, it goes to being part of culture broadly. And gifts may be the, the mechanism by which it happens, but it might be something larger in terms of what it expresses about culture. Definitely. Well, T. Kyle, you are a pioneer of gift culture. You're an expert on these pieces uh, of, of how people are sharing their ideas together. Thank you for joining us on Function today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That is it for this Giftastic Week on Function. Next week, we are going to dig into one of the most contentious battles in the history of creating tweets. Why the hell doesn't Twitter have an edit button? Now, I have my own personal strong feelings about this, which we'll find out in that episode. But we're also going to hear from experts who have very informed opinions about the pros and cons of Twitter enabling us all to edit our tweets. Function is produced by Bridget Armstrong. Our associate producer is Maurice Cherry. Nishat Kurwa is the executive producer of audio for the Vox Media Podcast Network. Our engineers are Srinivas Ramamurthy and Jarrett Floyd. And thanks to Jelani Carter for your help this week. Our theme music was composed by Brandon McFarland. And a huge thanks to the team at Glitch. You can follow me on Twitter at Anil Dash. And you can check out Function online at glitch.com function. Please remember to subscribe to Function wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll be back next week. Keeping up with your competition is important. Taking the lead with unmatched innovation, that is impressive. And that's what's possible when you build your next generation of smart apps on Microsoft Azure. Clear the way for unparalleled productivity with end-to-end development and management tools. Integrate cloud capabilities across your environment with the only consistent hybrid cloud.
discover transformative insights through artificial intelligence and real-time data, and scale across more global regions than you'll get from any other cloud provider. Because every business and every organization, whether small or large, old or new, has something to gain by reaching beyond the limits of an on-premise data center. What will you achieve when you come to the cloud? Get started with a free account and 12 months of popular services at azure.com slash trial. A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial.